0: Rhett and Link of the popular YouTube channel Good Mythical Morning and the podcast Ear Biscuits both deconverted from Christianity or deconstructed or however you want to phrase that several years ago and started making their journey public uh, about three years ago. And every year they release a video uh, chronicling how they're feeling and what their spiritual journey is like. Until now they have been and probably still are what you would call hopeful agnostics. But now... For a particular reason, Rhett has referred to himself as a person of faith. He says that he has faith, and he has some tethers, we could say, that he thinks tie him to something. And he's trying to figure out what that is. But he has an inkling. And we're going to take a look at what he said about his spiritual journey so far. And then we're going to take a look at his newfound faith as he has put it in his own words. Stick with us. By the way, everything that I've ever said about Rhett and Link is in a playlist on this channel. So check that out under the playlists. And with that, let's just jump into some of these comments and begin to kind of analyze them. And again,
1: I try, I try to qualify things when, I, when, when we talk about these things as I'm just kind of throwing out some, like giving you as a person, as a human, as another human, just a data point from another human who is trying to figure out what they think about the nature of the world, right? Not in a, I'm trying to change your mind, I'm trying to persuade you because as you'll see at the end, I don't know exactly what I'm persuaded of personally. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of like, as if we were friends sitting around a campfire and we were like, well, what are you thinking about spiritual things these days? I would lightly toss some things out to
0: the group for consideration so uh, consider it in that way okay, okay so i want to acknowledge something and then i want to point something out that i've pointed out in every one of these videos i think since i've been talking about rhett and link and that is that uh, number one he is granting from the jump hey i'm not trying to give you like some big overarching you should believe this this is what you should take I- I'm, I'm just it's just like a guy sitting around a campfire with buddies i'm just giving you some kind of thoughts about um about spirituality or something These are some stuff. These are some things I think he said that I would just throw out there. Well, okay, that's that's fair. I mean, we all talk about things casually. That's fine. And YouTube is known for casual discussions about these things. Here's here's the problem that I have with with what Rhett does in some of the videos and in this one uh, particularly, or or at least as much as any of the others, is what he will do is say when he gets to Jesus, we're going to see this. he He will say about Jesus or he will say about Christianity or some of these things. Now, now, look. I'm telling you, this is what they say. This is what these apologists will say, and some of the best ones. But look, I'm telling you, I, I'm not saying there's a case to be made for the resurrection. I don't know that there's a case to be. I, I'm not. I don't think there is. You know, it, I think it all fails and all that sort of thing. But then he never tells you why. Now he does mention that there are top shelf experts working on all these things, but uh, he kind of couches it as I used to never really pay much attention to this. I would just kind of find a blog article when I was a Christian. Somebody defending the resurrection, some PhD, some historian or something. It looks pretty good. Yeah, okay, I got it. And I would get kind of the gist, but I didn't really know what I was reading. I didn't really go into it in any great depth. And uh, ultimately, what we have here is some people who are experts. Yes, that's true. They're experts. But even those experts, the the case that they're making, I just don't buy it. But then you never get why. You, You never get an explanation of, well, what points failed? What didn't work? Lay out your case against Christianity or lay out what you think is a problem about the resurrection case as you've heard it presented. Let's talk about these things. Let's talk about some of this. But because he has, and I'm not saying this was like an intentional thing, but because he has couched it with, hey man, I'm I'm just throwing out some, I'm not saying I know all this stuff. I'm just throwing out some spiritual ideas and stuff I would say with some friends. And And so because he said that, then it's it's kind of acceptable. You're kind of like, oh, he said he was just talking like some. So of course he's going to say, well, I don't know. I'm not going into all that. I'm just saying, uh, it doesn't work for me. But the effect, it, the effect for a lot of people is going to be perhaps more powerful than it would be if he presented some sort of big elaborate arguments or actually looked through the evidence for the resurrection and tried to show what was wrong with it. Because what what the average viewer, I think, is is taking from this as they're looking at Rhett is they have watched Rhett. He's hilarious. He's quick-witted. He's obviously a very smart guy. He's a likable guy, incredibly likable, and that is very important to what's happening here. Okay, Again, I'm not saying any of this is intentional or that this is what he was trying to do. But this is the result, and it happens a lot with deconstruction and deconversion stories. I know because I have scoured TikTok and YouTube looking at them. And I'm telling you, this is often what happens is someone sets up a a deconstruction discussion where they really don't, they really don't. Now, he did more in his first video, and I can't remember all the videos now, but, but, but he never really wants to go deep into this evidence, and here he doesn't at all. He just kind of gives an impression that, Look, and, and this is the way somebody takes it, I think. This is the way it could be easily taken, is <laughs> it's Red, man. He's down to earth. I know that guy, but he's smart. He's he's ready. I likeable. And I kind of trust him. And yeah, you know, I've wondered about this. And here he is on here saying, look, I, I'm not going to get into all the arguments, but dude, it's bunk. I, I'm not buying it. I'm not trying to convince you. I'm not trying to tell you that, that you shouldn't buy it. I'm just saying, I don't know how anybody buys this kind of thing. Not that that's an exact quote, but he but he did give the impression that he doesn't think it passes muster at all, the resurrection cases that he's heard. And so that is a very powerful rhetorical thing to convince someone. I realize he's saying, I'm not trying to convince you, but that is a powerful rhetorical device to convince someone. Again, not that it's intentional. I think he really did just want to do what he said he would do, come out here and talk about all this stuff. But I want to say that that the problem here is if you don't give us the things that you, that convinced you, so that we can analyze them in in detail. Now, again, in the first one, he did that a little bit with like evolution and some things. That we talked about that, but if you don't give us something like that with with the resurrection, how you know wh- what are we as Christians who do believe this stuff supposed to supposed to think in response to this? Here's a guy who has a channel that is massive. Um, is there even a Christian channel that approaches uh, the 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 number of viewers that Rhett and Link have? I don't know. Maybe. I don't think so. And so you have you have a huge channel that that drowns out in some sense, most of the voices that would that would give a different side of this thing. And, and you say this and there's and you give us nothing to respond to. All you give us basically is we have to respond to the fact that Rhett is really likable. And people kind of take him, you know, they kind of ta- they, they admire him. And so I can see this being powerful. I just want to point that out at the beginning because it is a bare naked uh, claim. If we don't have any reason to think it, he's just claiming that it fails. And that's fine. He can think that. But he's thought it out loud to millions of people now. And he didn't give us anything to deal with. So just know that this is a claim. And he may have some things he'd like to say that might help to back up his claim. But right now it's just vacuous. He hasn't he given us anything to work with.
2: Monday?
1: an update on all the insights I gathered from all the Bible that I read, you will be sorely disappointed because I didn't get very far. Uh, I don't want to trash the Bible and say that it's boring. Um, (laughs) Uh, But it's kind of boring, especially when you've read it, uh, like you spent a lot of your your, your time in your previous life reading it. And when you start from the beginning, especially, you know, that's why That's why when you do like Bible in a year, there's a reading plan that doesn't just have you start from the beginning and try to get through the Torah, because it's so difficult to do. (laughs) You were so excited about it. Uh, Well, it's a moment in time. It turns out that it was an it was a very important moment in time, and it did something. um, You know the 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 logic behind getting the
0: Bible. You know the analogy I use. Okay, before we go any further, I do want to say something about this. I get it. I get it that particularly portions of the Bible. Now, on the one hand, what preachers and youth pastors have always said is absolutely true. The Bible has all kinds of entertaining comments or content. And Rhett is going to say in just a moment, well, the Bible was not written for your entertainment link. And I get that, but it is very entertaining. And whatever kind of genre you're interested in, there's something like that, unless you're just only into like 21st century Rom-com type stuff or something, or, or like a Will Ferrell movie. Uh, not to bash Will Ferrell. I'm just saying the, the fact is that uh, th- this this has a variety of contents from ancient literature. But I, but I get how it can seem boring to someone who's not committed to it. Okay, I can I can get that. I see that. But um, here's what I recommend. And I think if you have any real interest at all, I, I think uh, well, let me say it this way. I think someone like you, Rhett, if you ever see this, which I don't, I don't suppose that you will. But if you do ever see this, I, I think this would help. And that is, we have a professor at Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary, a visiting professor, and he has a huge platform of his own. is on radio stations across America, I believe. And it's Steve Gregg, Steve Gregg in the Narrow Path. You love him. He's got longer hair than you do, probably. He's a hippie, uh, basically, that is a Christian. I, I say he's like my Obi-Wan Kenobi, but he's like my hippie Obi-Wan Kenobi, right? And, and you, you, he has a verse-by-verse verse through the entire Bible. You know what that means, Rhett? It means you can pick anywhere you want in the whole Bible and just... Uh, just start listening, and he will unpack everything in a way that I I think you'll find to be incredibly powerful. And anyone listening who wants to get into the Bible, I have a series through Genesis. I have a series through the book of Jude. Steve Gregg has one through the whole Bible. So if you want to start with me and then switch over to Steve Gregg or just go straight to Steve Gregg, I endorse all of that. I hope that you'll do that because, um, you know, that's an important thing to say. But it's really not the point he wants to make ultimately, so let's keep trucking. You're, just, you're saying you were
2: reading Genesis. In yeah. the Bible, and then you started reading what what commentary on that now, right? But it quickly just became commentary
1: about all of Christianity and like what what's the latest in the the arguments that are happening about different aspects of the faith on the internet between you know Christians and atheists and progressive Christians, et cetera, et cetera.
2: Mm-hmm. And I was just kind of blown away, not surprisingly. Is this a blog still happening mostly in the blogosphere? No. Has it moved to Reddit? I mean, like, or Twitter? It's, like, where? where?
1: It's everywhere, but the place that it is the most, it, most accessible is YouTube. Okay. Because essentially you've got personalities Talking who, heads. who have set themselves up as... This is my position. This is where I stand. And they interact with each other, you know, across disciplines and across perspectives. And it's fascinating to me. I I love kind of like watching it unfold because I feel like there's a little bit of me in every single argument that I see, right? Because, Uh you know, I was a very, uh, I was a professional Christian. I was an evangelical Christian. When I deconstructed, I kind of went through what I would call a mildly angry atheist phase, which is common to many people who deconstruct. And then I kind of backed off of that and kind of went into an agnostic place and I'm continuing to evolve. But you've got all these people that represent these different perspectives and I just like seeing
0: them interact. And also Okay, first I want to say something about this. I, I'm gonna I don't think Rhett's gonna watch this, but I'm gonna say this as though I'm speaking to Rhett. Rhett, you are a part of that community now. you are a part of the online worldview discussions. And he speaks about this as though he's watching it passively happen. And frankly, I I agree. I think I, I said when I came back to the world of YouTube apologetics after having uh, been teaching apologetics and, and doing apologetics. But when I finally came back a few years ago and started looking at what was happening on YouTube specifically, I didn't know who any of these people were. I was doing apologetics, but I didn't know who godless engineer was or, uh, Paul or Matt Dillahunty. I actually, I did, I had heard of Matt Dillahunty cause he was around on the atheist experience even before I kind of stopped paying attention to this sort of thing. But, um, but 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 I didn't you know when I came back I thought I thought okay these people are a lot of them are using like uh, pseudonyms or like superhero type names and someone could do a really great quirky documentary about this underworld rap battle between Christians and atheists and all that sort of thing uh, because it, it is kind of it is kind of interesting it could make for a good documentary but here here's what I want to point out you're part of that now you are ma- you are making worldview potent content that one video out views, uh, is viewed far more than the vast majority of atheist Christian or progressive Christian sites that you, that you're, uh, thinking of. So you are making, you are making these statements. They're hearing, we're all hearing those things. And you may not be, the only difference is he's talking about people interacting with each other. He, I don't know that Rhett has ever interacted with someone from that space. Maybe he has, it doesn't, I mean, doesn't sound like he has, uh, from what he's saying, but, um, But but you're part of that now, you're part of that community because you're whether you are trying to or not, you are influencing people uh, with your words and with your thoughts. You're an influencer. That's the way it is. Um, And you do bear responsibility for for impacting people's beliefs to some degree um, in information that you share. So I think that's important to know. Having people publicly sort of change their minds
1: is an interesting thing that I've seen happen, too you know, which is something that happened to me. Mm -hmm. I like to hear that. Um, But as I kind of centered around one particular issue and reading about that, um, some things started to um, solidify, to become distilled, I don't know how I would describe it, about faith and reason that have helped me kind of look inwardly and kind of figure out, why I think the way I think, or help me organize some of my thoughts, which again will get to what faith is at this point, and how I'm how I'm leaning into that. And that the event that there's so much discussion about, of course, is the resurrection, the, the physical resurrection of Jesus, right? Because I mean, this is the central event of Christianity. This is the thing that. Paul says that if it didn't happen, if Christ is not raised, then, you know, your faith is is useless and, you know, we're to be pitied above all people. And of course, if it did happen, then there's something to this Christianity thing. So it's, it, it makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense that people spend a lot of time talking about this. And a lot of apologists spend a lot of time defending it and trying to make a case for why it's reasonable to believe that Jesus actually raised from the dead. Mm hmm. So in kind of looking at their arguments, well let me just news flash. I'm I still not convinced that Jesus rose from the dead. Um uh you know, that's not what this is about. I'm not gonna go into why I do or why I don't believe <clears throat> See what I mean. Um but I'm not about to I'm not about to say that I've come to the conclusion that Jesus rose from the dead. It's I was very much um sort of confirmed in my suspicion. From ten years ago, that I I don't believe that he did, and
0: I don't believe there's a good case that he did. Okay, but one of the things that okay, so so now notice, I just want you to notice. I mean, he's saying, "Look, I looked through all this stuff, and I just kind of I didn't get convinced that Jesus rose from the dead." I'm confirmed. I was confirmed in my belief that there's not a good case that he rose from the dead. We're not going to get into that, though. We're not going to get into that. That that's the part that is difficult because there's been way too much of that in these kind of discussions lay out for us your case if you're going to influence people you know you're influencing people you know that there are probably you may know of people i mean i'm sure you probably do know of people who've walked away because you influence them in some way uh, to feel more comfortable walking away or whatever it is and uh you don't i mean i feel like you need to present your reasons
1: if you really want to follow the argument like if you want to actually consider the argument for or against the resurrection, there's a few things that you have to have at least some working knowledge of, right? Like you got to, have a little knowledge or a little pov on the historical reliability of the gospels you got to understand what extra biblical evidence there is you got to understand a little bit about the history of first century judaism you got to understand first century roman empire and how the empire was in- interacting with the jewish people and 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 how their laws were interacting and in the and methods of execution and methods of burial the early stages of the christian church and how it
0: Now, to get the case that most people make, like right now among Christian apologists, and we're going to do a show on this again in the future, but there are basically two. There's two kinds of. There's at least two broadly in the in the realm he's talking about ways of going about this. There's like a minimal facts type of approach where you're saying, look. Here are what are considered bedrock facts. These are the facts about the events surrounding the death of Jesus and the claimed resurrection that the majority of scholars, no matter what their background is or whatever, here are some facts that the majority of scholars agree about that they they think these, these are true facts. So they're called bedrock facts because if you're going to come up with a theory for what happened in a historical event and every event has, or I guess every event has these, you want it to have these bedrock facts, you try to find some. And then it, it means it's highly evidenced and uh, the majority of, or a consensus of scholars agrees. And so you have your theory has to account, your hypothesis has to account for these facts or else it's not a good hypothesis. And so people like Gary Habermas and Mike Lycona and others will amass like a list of, you know, anywhere from four or five to 12 or 14 facts that are granted by the majority of scholars that are highly evidenced. And then uh, they will make a case just from those. You don't have to believe the whole Bible, just these things. And we'll make a case for the resurrection. Another way to do it is called the maximal data or the maximal facts approach. Uh, All you have to know really for the kinds of case that most people make is some basic facts about uh, those things that he mentioned. Um, You don't have to know everything about those things. You have to know a couple of things to get the point that's being made. Okay, I just think that's important. It, it, it And I always want to make this point. The Christian arguments, arguments for God's existence or arguments for the resurrection of of Jesus, aren't complicated. They're not. You say, well, Braxton, what are you talking about? you got all these premises and uh, all these propositions and all that. Yeah, but they're not complicated. Um, they can be, like the Kalam cosmological argument, for example, can be put as simply as, um, uh, God is the best explanation for the beginning of the universe, okay? But, and, and anyone pretty well can understand that that claim, right, or that point. But if you want to go deeper, we can go a little deeper. We can go a lot deeper. We can go way deeper, okay? And so the, the arguments get more complex and you have to know more things based on how uh, complex the response has to be because of how complex the question was. So this discussion can be had at any level.
1: And the testimonies of the, the disciples and all this stuff, right?
0: And That's
1: a lot. it, it kind of hit me that most people and also most Christians, including me when I was a Christian, didn't have a working knowledge of these things, right? There may be like, oh, my pastor talked about it one Sunday, or I checked in with a with a YouTube video or a blog. It was more common back in the day. Mm-hmm where somebody who took the time to research all this stuff, somebody who is a historian, somebody who does, uh, you know, who can read Greek or whatever, uh, they have have synthesized this information for me in a simple to understand blog post that makes me feel confident that I'm a Christian who believes in the resurrection, right? But really, I wasn't ever really following the argument. And I'm not even saying that even now I'm really following the argument.
0: Wait a minute. The argument is Jesus was Jesus lived. Jesus died. Jesus. I'm just giving you a rough, minimal facts type argument. Jesus lived. Jesus died. Jesus thought of himself as God's special eschatological agent to bring about the kingdom. At least that's held by the majority. Uh, then you have Jesus died uh, by Roman crucifixion under Pontius Pilate. Here's some of the stuff he he wants to tell you. Um, you know, the 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 Jews were a, a vassal state under Rome. And Rome was controlling the region, but they allowed for a certain amount of, of you know, uh, self-government and things like that. But you had Pontius Pilate up over everything or up over this, this decision about the resurrection. And uh, Tacitus, Cornelius Tacitus, the greatest um, historian of ancient Rome, who was not a Christian, says, uh, you know, confirms that Jesus died under Pontius Pilate. And he would have had access to these sort of records and things like that, too um so so the claim is just that Jesus lived Jesus died under Pontius Pilate we can confirm that and then Jesus uh and then people after his death had experiences that they interpreted to be experiences of the risen Christ you know that that's part of most of these cases what what you know what um and then the the rapid expansion of the early church the growth the the, the willingness to face persecution for this and perhaps die and some did die so what's i don't know what's uh Incredibly difficult or hard to follow about that, and I'm not picking it, Link. I think he probably did follow that. I think what he's actually saying here is I didn't have some of the prerequisite knowledge to have that debate at like the seventh level, like the, you know, at the, at the really heavy level, or perhaps even at the intermediate level. But you did understand the argument, right? And the the argument was based on facts that are agreed upon. So we would need we would we would again. This is where I need to know what you what what exactly. You mean? I think that's what you mean. But then again, you didn't have to. Sure, people, the average Christian doesn't understand all this apologetic stuff. Okay. Um, the average Christian now probably does what you said. If they get concerned, they'll go look at a YouTube video or something and they'll be like, okay, that, okay, that makes sense to me. All right. Well, there you go. That confirms it. I'm good. Other people, they're, they're, a li- they maybe have a little more uh, of a moment of doubt and they go deeper some people like me they they try to go way deep because they really want to know because they're trying to reach other people with this message but the, the the message is there and can be understood at multiple levels and it I don't I don't know how you could say you didn't understand the case or follow the case um early on if the case is just something like Jesus died by Roman crucifixion uh, other people thought he appeared to them after his death and they were willing to be persecuted for it but anyway let's keep trucking
1: the degree that a lot of these people, these talking heads are. Um, But yet, despite the fact that most Christians don't really follow the full argument for the resurrection, the evidence for the resurrection...
0: Which I think he means they don't have an intermediate or advanced level of understanding of all these different areas of inquiry. um, Most
1: of them, if not all, well, most Christians believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus. They believe that it happened. Sure. And, 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 and it kind of hit me, I was like, but why, okay, why is that? Well, because they have faith. They have faith that Jesus rose from the dead, right? Because typically the way that, the way that it worked for me is raised in a Christian household, you know, in a Christian community, I make a decision to become a Christian at a very young age, when I don't have a real understanding of much. And then as you grow, you begin to build the case for your own faith. And then maybe there is a point that you have a crisis of faith and you do some research in a particular area, but it's just
0: to kind of confirm the faith decision that you already made. So, okay, I want to talk about how he uses faith here. Um, actually, maybe I maybe I should let him go on because he does talk about it again in more detail in a moment. Um, so, like, the way he's going to frame this up, and you'll see, Uh, if I play all the clips, but the way he frames this up is reason takes you so far. And then there is this chasm between there and, uh, you know, what you, what you, I guess in this case, what, what religion you think is true or, or whatever. And, or or maybe even just because he thinks everybody has faith in, in some way. So maybe, maybe it's just whatever you land on reason takes you so far. And then there's a, there's like a chasm and then there's that. Okay. Um, and and the, and the faith is, that chas- is what bridges that, what gets you across this uh, this chasm. Now, I don't entirely disagree with that picture, but I think I disagree with how he, I think he's taking it. So because th- it seems like there's a little bit of like the um, I responded to Paul Ogia on a short recently um, where, where I was explaining this. And he even said to me in, in DMs, I think that I, I gave the best answer anybody had given to him on, when he made that video faith isn't just believing what you know ain't so, and faith isn't just believing in the the face of evidence to the contrary or without evidence. And it's not a blind leap in the dark, biblically speaking. Now, that may be how a lot of people use it, But if we're talking about the Bible and we're actually talking about the Bible, biblical Christianity, for Christians who believe that this is from God, what what we think is important for us to understand here, if we're going to understand what God wants us to know, is that faith, biblically speaking, is trust. And and, and that's not enough. You hear me say that and there's a temptation to say, oh, I've heard this thing before and stop listening. But don't do that. Listen closely. Faith is trust. you, you, you have faith, like you've heard people say, you have faith that when you sit in the chair, it won't break. But you don't really know that for sure. It could break. Chairs have broken underneath people after they've sat on them every day for years, right? So so you don't know for sure, but you trust based on evidence that you have. You have trust based on the evidence that it won't fall. Now, with people, you this really works even more because remember, we're talking about trusting or having faith in a person, Jesus. And so, uh, when you trust a person, I, I trust that my wife is not going to cheat on me tomorrow. Okay, or, or next time I'm out of town, I trust that. I trust. I, I have faith that she won't. Oh, well, you're just believing in the face of evidence, or you're you're just blindly leaping off. No, no, I I I have good evidence from the past. I have all this good evidence that she won't cheat on me, and so I that because of that good evidence. I trust that she won't in the future. I don't know it for sure, but I trust based on the evidence. With Christianity, you trust, you trust that God will do for us in the future what he said he would do based on what we have good evidence for in 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 the past. Let me say it again. I really want you to get this down. This is this is how I'm saying it. Is faith is trusting that God will do for us in the future what he said he would do based on what we have good reason to believe, good evidence for his having done in the past. Okay? So th- this is important. So now, like, the way I say it, it's not a leap of faith; it's a step of faith. But to say it more appropriately: it's a step of trust. So I, I don't. So I think a lot of this is just is just. I, I don't necessarily disagree outright with how he pictured it in an analogy, but but I I don't know that he's seeing this the way I'm saying. I think we should see it, and the way he talks about it, I, I think bears that out. But let's keep going. This
1: and even if you're even if you're like. You are the most informed Christian on the face of the planet. And you're the guy that writes the book about the resurrection.
0: So that's Mike Licona. We've had Mike Icona and Gary Habermas on the show recently. The best that you can do,
1: and I don't even believe that this is possible, but let's just, for the, for the sake of the argument, I'll be generous and say, the best that you can do is make a case for why it is reasonable to believe or even probable that Jesus rose from the dead.
0: He doesn't think a case can be made that it's reasonable or probable, but he said reasonable too, reasonable or probable to, what do you say, to believe?
1: And I don't even believe that this is possible, but let's just, for the, for the sake of the argument, I'll be generous and say the best that you can do is make a case for why it is reasonable to believe or even probable
0: that Jesus- G- Okay, I think he wants to go with probable here because he said reasonable or probable, and then he restated it as probable because I think he realized that I could be wrong, but it seems like, you know, what he realized that he would be saying, he doesn't think you can make a case that it's even reasonable to believe in the resurrection, which could sound very insulting to all the Christians who he just said, I'm not trying to change your view. Uh, but he let's say, OK, he he said, OK, I can't even say that it's probable uh, that Jesus rose from the dead. Um, I don't even think you can make a case there. Oh, oh great. Well, why is that? I think you know where this is going. There's a bit of a theme here developing, isn't it? Let's keep trucking. Jesus rose from the dead,
1: right? I don't believe that you can, but I'm just saying. Mm -hmm. If you make the case that it's probable that Jesus rose from the dead, that it is the best explanation for why the early church got started, and it is the best explanation for the available evidence, at some point you still have to close the gap between probability and certainty with faith.
2: Yes. Yeah, because if there was not— 100% proof
0: 100 you can't <laughs> prove it so at some point you have to take a leap of faith okay this takes us back to what i've said in previous discussions about this about them about rhett and link particularly the first one where uh and, and some people got onto me for this because i was using this terminology a lot of people didn't understand the terminology but but it sounded like what he was looking for when we say proof what what do you mean that is a very fluid term depending on who you're talking to so proof Sounds to me like the way they're using it because Link just said, because he said you still have to take that a leap or a step or whatever of faith. And Link's like, yeah, because you can't have like proof. Uh, okay. I think now if what he's saying is you can't have proof that Christianity is true, uh, well, what do you mean? Do you mean we can't have absolute certainty? I think later in the episode, one of them says that. Maybe Link says, oh, it says something about being, you know, you can't be certain. Okay. These terms are, are pregnant with meaning. <laughs> certainty in, in a certain context, like in everyday parlance, if, if someone says, "Is your, I just left the house. Is your wife there right now? Five minutes ago, I left the house and she was, let's say, in bed. And they say, are you certain that she's at home? Yeah, I'm absolutely certain I left the house. Now, do I mean philosophically something else? Do I mean I have Cartesian certainty that is impossible to doubt that she absolutely is at home, as I said, she was, well, actually, my wife is the HOA president at our condominium complex, and she often has to jump out of bed and run out to handle some problem, right? So, no, I'm not, I'm not absolutely certain that that's true. And even if she didn't have that job, am I absolutely certain that after I left the house didn't catch fire and she ran out of the house? I, I can't, you see what I mean? So what do you mean with certain? If, if we just mean, you know, we have a really high degree of confidence well, then, then there'll still be a step of faith because we don't have absolute Cartesian certainty, impossible to doubt. That some people don't even think you can have about your own existence. Okay, but unless you, but unless you mean that, if you mean anything else with proof, if you mean really high confidence, like very, very high confidence, um, anything like that, you, you're still, you still don't have. If as long as you don't have Cartesian certainty. Link is right. You don't have abs- You don't have proof. You don't have absolute certainty. And whether he means this or not, I want to get to the technical point that that means if you don't have Cartesian certainty, there will always be a step or a, a step of trust um, involved in this because you don't have Cartesian certainty. There'll always be a step of, of trust. You could call it a step of faith as long as you're understanding faith to mean trust. Involved in this. But then again, that means that's going on with all kinds of things all over the place all the time in your thinking because you don't have Cartesian certainty of most things. And some people don't think anything. Okay, so so what the the point I want to make here about this is it's not really saying anything all that impressive to me once you understand what we're saying about faith with some specificity and then think about other beliefs in your life. All right, let's keep trucking. That really got me thinking about this concept of faith because
1: I think there's a tendency for people like me who've not only deconstructed but deconverted to just kind of just believe that you no longer have faith, that there's nothing that I think that is a leap to something. That I only operate under reason and logic, right? You tend to start believing that, but the thing that I'm realizing is that, well, I'm still human. And I believe that faith is a feature of humanity for most, for, you know, for most people.
0: But what is it? Trust because you can't really function without it. And, and so the biblical
1: definition actually in Hebrews 11, 1, I think is pretty good. The assurance. So faith is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things not seen. That's the ESV. The NIV says, now faith is the confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. I like that one. If you're a King James James person, uh, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen.
0: Faith is the confidence in things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Okay, so faith is the—this is the famous faith passage, okay? Faith is the confidence in things hoped for, so I'm trusting— and it's the evidence of things not seen now now in case you're skeptical of that because you're used to hearing this definition of faith so often here is the follow-up think about what is happening in that passage an explanation of a number of biblical figures who exercised faith um, are examples of faith and yet what are What did these biblical characters experience? Incredible evidence, incredible reason to believe. Now, what happens here often, and I always have to point this out, is someone will say, well, hold on a second. I don't believe any of that stuff in the Old Testament happened. It doesn't matter if you believe the stuff in the Old Testament happened for this point. The point is the person writing it is trying to convey to you that, you remember all those Old Testament characters? You may not even believe they exist. This is not, I mean, the author of Hebrews isn't saying you may not believe they exist, but I'm saying it to you. You may not even believe they exist. But he's like, you know all those Old Testament characters, those stories you know about? Yeah, those people are demonstrating incredible faith. Now, you're you're, (laughs) you're looking at that as as a person who understands that. In the story, if any person calling themselves a Christian today had those kinds of experiences we would call that incredible evidence right incredible evidence atheists would love that kind of evidence at least a lot of them um then you have evidence uh, atheists who say like if it was written on the moon in multiple languages i wouldn't believe it or whatever but uh but the point is incredible evidence and then it's said about these people they have faith and you're like see faith means believing what you know ain't so (laughs) not saying rhett's saying that but i'm saying that's often and it's like wait what no, the examples given are people that had incredible evidential reason to like know all of this is true and they exercised faith. Why? Because they're trusting. They're trusting that God will do what he said he would do based on what they have good evidence for. All right?
1: That's that. And I think this is like, in popular culture this is kind of how we understand faith. We don't uh, we don't really talk about it that much, but I actually think it's a great way of describing the way that faith operates in the world. So my sort of the Rep McLaughlin version of this is, faith is a bridge we can use to travel from the limits of reason to a confident conclusion of what we hope to be true. <laughs> faith is okay. a bridge we can use to travel from the limits of reason to a confident conclusion of what we hope to be true. So, if you're a Christian who is well-studied in all the evidence for the resurrection.
0: Now, it's, it's having trust based on evidence in what we believe and hope will be true. And yes, hope is an important part of the Christian faith. Of course, that's an important part of this. But the fact that you hope for something doesn't mean it's not highly evidenced. I mean, for example, I've said this all the time. Lots of young people hope they will get married one day. And most of the ones that hope they will probably do. You know, I mean, that, that, that there's good evidence that you'll get married one day. You can still hope that you'll get married one day. Uh, you know, I, 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 I hope itself shouldn't negate anything. Okay sometimes people will say, well, you're, this is just like a wish fulfillment type thing. Well, yeah, I mean, I do wish to get married one day, and then I did get married one day. Some people wish to become celebrities, and they become celebrities. Some people wish to have some major scientific discovery, and then they have that scientific discovery. They hope for all these things, and then it actually comes true. What? what I mean, what's really the point about this is that the fact that I believe in something is going to happen that I also would like to happen is a count is a point against it. You're saying, don't be biased, but here really the point is, and, and he mentions, Rep mentioned somewhere about, you know, the whole idea that you're born into, you know, re, your religion is kind of chosen regionally to some degree because you're born into a particular family and all that. And, and what I want to say in response to all these kind of things is great. But what about the evidence? Hmm? What if I gave you, yeah, I'm only, I'm only a Christian because I was born into it. Great. But what do you do about these arguments? What do you do about the resurrection case? You know, um, you know. Well, f- reason gets you so far, and then after that, you're just having. F- Your faith is just uh, a confidence you have, and just something you hope will be true. Well, and that I have good evidence for. Uh, the con- that's that's the trust, the confidence. I'm I'm, I'm trusting. I have confidence that this will happen. How many times? I, I mean, I'm saying it a whole bunch. I really want it to sink in, perhaps by repetition. But th- this is all very important. But the the bottom line is, hey. What do you think about those arguments that you found online? What 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 do you think about where it's come to now? What do you think about the case now that ostensibly you have taken in enough information to kind of uh, assess it at let's say an intermediate level? Yeah, you know, I really we just need to deal with the argument. I mean, all this other stuff is great, but 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 you could be right about a lot of this stuff or the atheist could be right about a lot of this stuff and it's like okay, but what about the evidence, right?
1: you still gotta get to the point where you kinda wanna, you gotta wanna believe that Jesus rose from the dead to make that final leap to it. It's gotta be this thing that you want to be true and then you believe it to be true. Mm -hmm. The the desire for it to be true precedes the belief for it to be true. And again, I'm not singling singling out Christians because again, I'm gonna get to the fact that I think this applies to most people and it definitely applies to me. And I'm gonna talk about how I see that manifesting itself in me.
2: Hmm. Yeah, it seem, seems like someone may f- say yeah, but you can you can become convinced of something. Like you can be, you you can make an argument. You may not want to believe that Seinfeld is the best television show of all time, but if you if you listen to enough arguments, you might become convinced of it. Even if you didn't want it to be better than friends or whatever your problem is um
0: first of all it is without question seinfeld is infinitely better than friends that's that's the end of that discussion right that's it yeah but that's an opinion my wife would disagree probably
1: about a show that requires taste
2: i'm really just saying that it seems like well can, can i be convinced of something that i didn't want to be true but then i changed my mind and then i it's not really what i like so I'm just kind of, I'm just kind of pointing out that a, a lot of people would think that. I well, think that about some I, things.
1: Yeah, but I think you're talking about a preference. So I'm also th- think.
2: Okay. When it comes to belief of something where there's not 100% proof, I, I do
0: believe that like people believe what they want to believe. Like it's some um, at the deepest level. And ultimately, I think that's the point that Rhett wants to get to, as we're going to see about his faith, which is coming up. And it, it's this, it, but, but, but Link is making a valid point. Now I did pick a bad example because those are subjective rather than objective things, your favorite show. Um, but the point is still a good one. Of course we become convinced of things that we wish weren't true. Now, uh, you know, like, uh, like you, y- you, might think you have the winning lottery ticket. I'm just coming up with this off the top of my head. You might think wrongly, oh my gosh, I have the winning lottery ticket. I'm a billionaire now or whatever. And then you, you rush to take the back. And oh, oh, wait a minute. Actually, here's the number and look on the TV. They're reading the number. Now look at yours. It's not the number. And guess what? I just became convinced that I didn't win the winning. I've never played the lottery, but I'm just saying I've become now convinced by evidence that I was wrong about something that I really, really wanted to be true. Now link, um, then follows up and says, well, but don't misunderstand me. Like I, he's like, I think I get what you're saying that it's not exactly like, uh, it's not exactly like the, um, lottery thing. Um, I guess I could be full screen here, but it doesn't matter. Um, It's not really like the lottery thing because uh, that's something that you can know at a, like with a very much higher level of confidence, like, like mathematical confidence or, or visual, uh, you know, assurance that what you're seeing is there as much as you can have that. Okay. So that, that's, that's different than something where you've got reason and it can get you so far but there's a gap there between where your reason ends and where the truth is about the nature of reality and links like agreeing with Rhett. And I think this is Rhett's place that you go with reason as far as you can. And then after that, you might end up believing just whatever you want to believe. And that's fine. At least that's how it seems. And I think you would say, you you don't want to just do that about anything. You want, you want it to be about thing you want. you, You can follow what you want to be true about things as long as it's not dangerous to anyone for you to do that. But we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, but Link is kind of <laughs> bridging that here um, as we're talking about the bridge of faith. And so I thought we would we would have a little commentary, but let's keep trucking. Maybe it's something that so you're me. agreeing. I am agreeing <laughs> with
2: you, but yeah, I was kinda exploring the other side of it. Well, I think a good way
1: to figure out like what part of faith, you know, what part of is the bridge is to think about what reason is. So reason is to think, understand, and form judgments by a process of logic. So when people are using, now, first of all, humans are really bad, including me, real, really bad at being able to parse between where we're using reason and where we're using intuition or where we're getting into matters of faith. That's true. But one of the beautiful things about science is that science starts with a recognition that people are imperfect, especially individual people and individual communities are imperfect and prone to value their own intuition too highly and Mm -hmm. also be led by their own bias. And so good science is about isolating the bias and trying to use as pure reason as possible, as pure logic as possible to
0: come to conclusions that we can be confident in, things that we can prove. That's why- That'd be nice, wouldn't it? Um, And and to the extent that we get that through science, that's a great thing.
1: you know, if you're studying some chemistry, some aspect of chemistry in the United States and in China, well, if the conditions are controlled, you're going to come to the same conclusions. But if you're studying theology, you don't have to be in China. You can be across the street. The Presbyterians and the Baptists are across the street from each other. They're studying theology. They're coming to vastly different conclusions about, you know, some fundamental
0: things. And that's because. Wait, 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 wait. Whoa, 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 whoa. This is something I really do want to point out, Rhett. We believe, we agree with, like, like a Baptist church, let's say, in a Presbyterian church. Is that what he said? Baptists in a Presbyterian church. They're going to agree on, like, 99%. They're going to agree on the vast majority of things, including the fundamentals. What they're going to disagree about is, are some secondary issues. Now, they've not always been treated as secondary issues in the history of the church. I'll tell you that right now. But um, they're they are secondary issues, and they uh, and they, they have some disagreements with us, and uh, they differ with us on soteriology. They differ with us on on how salvation works. But they're not heretics and they don't hold us to be heretics. And we're brothers and sisters, and we would call each other brothers and sisters, and we would proudly say that we're, you know, we're all Christians. Now you might say, well, you do, but there's some people out there. Well, of course there are. There are people like that in in every group, always. But I'm telling you, Presbyterians and Baptists are is like I, I'm actually surprised that's the ex, that's the two denominations chosen. Because while there are important differences, they're secondary differences. Uh, this is this is really important to state, okay? And so th- this is not true. What did they do? Well, they did do theology, and they did come to almost exactly the same conclusions. They have some different conclusions on secondary doctrines. Now, you might say, oh, hold on Braxton, uh, uh, but he's still got a point that that just never happens in science, science, they do the same experiments and they all come to agreements, really? Really? You're going to really tell me that there aren't scientists who have different understandings of quantum physics than, say, other scientists or different ways and they hash out different types or understandings of how evolution worked in this particular phase than, than others? No, 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 no. I'm sorry. There are differences of opinion among scientists and the differences of opinion that you pointed out or the, the, the two examples you gave from theology are actually pretty close. So um, while I think you're saying something that is meaningful, um yeah that that part doesn't work i don't think
1: matters of theology get into matters of faith which gets into matters of preference it gets into, it gets into things that you want to be true and not it moves beyond
0: things that you it, can- it 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 okay it moves into what you want to be true what you want to be true is that play the whole time okay before after during we all have things that we want to be true that that's true um But this notion that that once you go as far as reason can take you now, you just get to kind of you just can kind of believe whatever it's you just do whatever you want with it. Wait, what? No, that's to understand the wrong view of of faith. I think you're not just this may be the big difference here. You're not just trusting that what you want to be true will be true. You're not just trusting that it's what are you putting your trust in? You're not just trusting that what you hope will be true will be true. You're trusting that the evidence you have shows that the person of your salvation can be trusted in the future. Okay? But this idea that you go as far as reason, then you can kind of, it's just, it's kind of, you know, recess time. You can do it. I don't know that that's a fair way. I don't know that's exactly what he's saying, but I think it's in the ballpark and I can't buy that at all.
1: Prove to be true. And this is a little bit of an oversimplification, but it's one of the reasons that we have, we don't have, Um, I mean, Yes, the past three years may uh, challenge this particular view, but we actually do have one set of facts. There is a set of scientific facts that exist, whether or not you're in the group that has them or you're, you subscribe to them. I think we all kind of agree that there is a truth out there that is that corresponds to a
0: scientific reality. Getting to the bottom of that has gotten more difficult. Yeah, I agree with you about that interesting in our culture right now that things are changing and how many people would agree about that well with i think he kind of hinted toward it polarization
1: etc but the incredible diversity of faiths christian faiths alone christian denominations alone but then add
0: religion which are often highly exaggerated Not, not, not the extent to which denominations might differ or Christian groups might differ, but the, 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 the number of denominations. It's
1: a testimony to the fact that people are coming to conclusions based on the things that they want to be true, based on these, this faith decision that sends people in so many different directions. It doesn't keep bringing people back to the same conclusions.
0: It, okay, there, okay, first of all, there are heretical groups, there are cults and things like that, and and you probably can think of some names when I say that, some some groups out there like that. And that's because they are we like the the vast majority of christians who know about them know that they are to be considered um you know unorthodox uh heretical non-christian groups okay but among what's left right like the the christian groups that are left like you, you know there may be actually there's more of a concern really in some of those groups about you know a liberal a theological liberalism entering things, and he mentioned progressive Christianity, but you, you, this is something I want Christians and non-Christians to get. Are there some things, like you can't, like if you're believing that Jesus isn't divine, or is, or or Jesus didn't, you know, rise from the dead, or something like that, okay, well, you're not a Christian in in a recognizable, uh, traditional sense of that term at all, okay? But there are a lot of beliefs that, yeah, we disagree about this or that, just like scientists disagree about this or that thing about, uh, you know, some, some, hypothesis they're putting together. Um, And and yes, the ways we gain knowledge about these things are different. For example, it's going to be a lot of times historiography when we're talking about Jesus. That's different than what you're doing with chemistry or something like that in a lab somewhere um, in some important ways. This faith decision that sends people in so many different directions. It doesn't. But this notion that it sends people in so many different directions. I mean, like, you know, you're from small town America, I think. Like, you know, I even know of a couple of places in South and North Carolina. I think they're from South or North Carolina. I even know some places in both of those states where you can go in a small town, downtown, in some little small downtown off the square to a like meet and three type place on Sunday afternoon after church. And you will see Methodists and Presbyterians and Nazarenes and uh, Southern Baptists and Free Will Baptists all in there. Um eating together, joking around, laughing. But the idea is most of these groups, these, we, we understand these to be secondary issues, okay? Bringing
1: people back to the same conclusions, it keeps splitting people up and moving people away from each other when it comes to these, these faith issues, right? I mm-hmm. mean, we've personally experienced that with growing up in a church, that there was a difference of an opinion that led to the formation of a new church, yeah, right? Um, but the, a question that hit me or an idea was, what is it that determines what you want to be true? What is it that if everybody kind of wants different things to be true, as is evidenced by all these different faith perspectives, what is it that determines what someone wants to be true? And I'm convinced
0: that in large Uh, For me, uh, I'll admit to you that I want aspects of Christianity to be true, but I also actually think that it's the best explanation for the nature of reality.
1: It is a combination of circumstance and disposition. Okay. And this is why, for the, you know, even today, but definitely for most of history, you just believed what your parents believed and what your community believed and what the people in your culture believed that's right. why religions are centered regionally right mm-hmm. because yeah. people are being influenced by a combination of circumstance and disposition which tends to run in patterns regionally in groups of people um it, and i don't think that there's i, I don't think that this is a, i don't think this is a bad thing i just think that it's something to understand about like it's something that i'm understanding about myself because especially as it relates to Christianity and my deconstruction. So there could be one view that I could take of myself, which is, um, oh, I was so brave in in being in this environment where everybody believed this same thing and i decided to challenge it and follow the truth wherever it would lead and then to break out of this community because because i had the courage to do it the courage of my convictions to follow this and i'm some enlightened person who who stepped out of this this type of belief i do not believe that that's what happened in in any in in any sense of of the of those words because I believe that I came to where I'm at right now based on a combination of my circumstances and my particular disposition and how those things interact with one another. Right? Yeah. Um, and so, and, and I also think this has a, has a lot to do with how individual Christians respond to what's happening in the church when it comes to deconstruction.
0: Now, these are all important discussions, but remember, this is ultimately a worldview discussion about evidence and whether you should be a Christian or not, and what you should be, and what he thinks right now about all these things. And all of this is is interesting. I mean, yes, there, you, you, where you're born, uh, does have a lot to do with what religion you're most likely to encounter or whatever, what worldview you're most likely to encounter. That's absolutely true. That's why we have evangelists and missionaries going all over the world. That's why the world has been so evangelized, is because of the desire to reach uh, these other tribes and nations and to share the gospel, the good news of what the king, uh, the king of kings has done. And uh, and so that, yeah, that's all true. Um And and of course, you you do realize there's lots of people who convert um, from other religions to Christianity, right? So, I mean, that's interesting. These are all interesting facts. What about the arguments? You understand why I keep saying this now? It's, you know, you could be right about that and be wrong about Christianity. What, What about the arguments is what we want to know. It's helped
1: me withhold judgment from people. Okay. You know, yeah, I, it's. Well, it's what else are you gonna do? It's created a, uh, a a softness towards others and towards myself. And when I say softness towards myself, I say it makes me even more suspicious than I ever was about anything that I actually believe, hmm. because I recognize that it's not like I have some really, really tied up, very, very reasonable, very, very logical package of beliefs that I have assembled with great care and without outside influence. No, I've had lots of outside influence and I've had lots of outside influence interacting with the way that my brain works. And that's why I think the things that I think. So when I'm able to see myself in that way, I can step back and be like, all right, well, can I, I, you hold things a little bit more loosely.
0: Okay, so you don't hold everything more loosely. There are certain things you're very convinced of, right? Um, <clears throat> and the, the, the notion of softening to the circumstances and disposition of other people who are in other belief systems, I agree 100%. For example, I, I've said this on the show before, but um, when I was filming the documentary uh, The Journey in Turkey on the seven churches of, uh, that are mentioned in the beginning of Revelation, first few chapters of Revelation, uh, we, I, when we were at the site of... Um, um, was it Laodicea? No, it wasn't Laodicea. But the, one of the churches, we were there, and it was in a town called uh, Al-Shahir. And there was a place where you could sit, a pastry shop, a little tiny, small pastry shop, just about as big as what you see behind me in the set here, a couple of tables. And uh, there was a little old lady in there, a little old man. They were both adorable Looked like the couple from Disney's Up, except in a Muslim context. <laughs> and uh, we went in there and th- th- they thought, th- th- this couple thought it was the greatest thing. They, I was with a Canadian, my co-host was Canadian. they never had a Canadian or an American in their, in their shop. Now they had both and they were just through the roof. They tried to give us all kinds of free stuff, you know, and all that. She kissed me all over my face. I mean, you know, it was, it was like a, it was a really like this is somebody's grandma. And I'm sitting here thinking to myself, in that spot you know this woman believes what her parents told her to believe you know she she believes what her culture believes she she she's serious about it and and that i get that i, I do have a softness to that i i, I do have a softness to that and, and you're right her circumstances and disposition did did have an impact there and so i can say that i've softened to that sort of assessment of others as well. It doesn't mean I've let go of things that I know are true. It's just, um, it, it does impact and that's real people. You know, you should love people. You should, you should uh, try to understand people. If you can understand someone's situation and you can respect their situation, then you can love that person. And I, you know, I, I love this. I love these people that, that I worked with, um, when I was over there and tried to share the gospel with many of them. and, And some of them were very receptive, but, uh, but this sort of now i said before he doesn't want to come off as some kind of enlightened guru who's so proud of himself that he was able to walk away from his faith after all the logic and reason and all those things um but there is a sense of that and and i know i know why he feels like he's got to say that because i've said it before and i don't know how many of you can relate to this but when you do even as a christian move off of some uh cherished belief to some other belief like moving from old earth to young earth or young earth to old earth or Calvinism to Arminianism or, or, you know, whatever it is, when you move on a big issue like that, it's a secondary issue, but it's important to you. Deeply held belief. You do feel after it's, it's difficult and it's frightening, but after it's over, there is kind of a bit of a liberation and maybe a, a kind of satisfaction that I was able to take it seriously enough and do it, even though I didn't necessarily want to. And, and all of that can be real. But, but because I've also experienced that, this is one thing that I want people who have gone through deconstruction and are no longer Christians to think about and, and give us this, at least. And, and that is, many of us know exactly what that's like. Not, maybe not exactly. We know what it's like to have deeply held beliefs and give them up and walk away from them to something else. We didn't walk away from Jesus, but we did walk away from some secondary beliefs. Some of us did. And so we kind of do know what that's like. Um, And I think that's an important thing. We, We have that experiential knowledge as well.
1: Yeah, You hold your convictions about other people a little bit more loosely and you hold your personal convictions.
0: Yeah, so, so the idea is when people disagree with us, if you've ever moved on a belief, you can kind of have a sense of humility more. Not everyone does, but you should have a sense of humility like he's describing here about the fact that, hey, I, I did really think I was absolutely right about this and I was wrong, so I should be open to the things that I could be wrong about being, being wrong. The thing is... <laughs> We have good evidence and arguments that we we're really uh confident in uh, that, that that these things get us there and then on top of this, I'm sorry I just have to I just do have to in a conversation where there's so much uh discussion about psychology and emotions and how we uh, deal with facts and all that I, I just gotta tell you, I do believe I've had personal experiences of God now they're not um sense based uh or 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 that sort of thing. But, but I've had experiences where I know I reminded myself in the midst of it, Braxton, remember this in the future, because right now you know this is real and happening and true and all of that. So we, most Christians do have some sort of experiential thing on top of that, too. So um, all of that kind of goes into it.
1: A little bit more loosely because you recognize just how tenuous the whole enterprise is.
0: Yeah, how much influence
2: things you have no control over, uh, how much influence it has over you.
0: true there's a lot of influence right
1: so and and one thing it makes me much less uh it makes me want to be much less dogmatic in any conclusion that i come to
0: at this point i want to skip ahead a bit because rhett does begin to talk about a book that either gave him some great insights or maybe led to a revolution in the way he thinks about what he does and his worldview, if that's the right term And you might think, well, is this book from some philosopher or something like that? No, it's a book by the famous Rick Rubin. Now, you might know Rick Rubin as a music producer, and he is. He's worked with Johnny Cash and a whole bunch of others right up today to Justin Timberlake and others. Um, So, uh, you know, this is a talented guy, um, written a book about creativity. And so I want you to have that knowledge going in because I think that Rhett is kind of honest about how you maybe should feel about this.
1: I don't care who you are. Uh, For me personally, this book was a masterpiece. Like I really think that as a creative thinker, this was, because it's not so much about my, it has nothing to do with my respect for his work or my knowledge of his work. I know a little bit about what Rick Rubin has done as a producer and the people that he's worked with and the albums that have, have kind of come out of that process. Mm-hmm. But to me, it's more somebody who understands a, a creative way of being, a creative way of living. Uh, actually, the creative act, a way of being is the, is the name of the, the book. But it is, uh, the first pass of this book I basically took in in one hike or not. But again, I'm having these thoughts about faith, asking myself, what is it that I believe that I can't prove to be true? Mm -hmm. And how does that interact with my life? And then, and again, we've already said that it is the, the evidence of things unseen, the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. And here we are very early in the book, just on page 31, he has a short chapter called The Unseen. Chapters are short, this one in particular, two pages. I'm gonna just read some stuff I highlighted. The act of creation is an attempt to enter a mysterious realm, a longing to transcend. What we create allows us to share glimpses of an inner landscape, one that is beyond our understanding. Art is our portal to the unseen world. Without the spiritual component, the artist works with a crucial disadvantage, The spiritual world provides a sense of wonder and a degree of open-mindedness not always found within the confines of science. The world of reason can be narrow and filled with dead ends, while a spiritual viewpoint is limitless and invites fantastic possibilities. The unseen world is boundless. The practice of spirituality is a way of looking at a world where you're not alone. There are deeper meanings behind the surface. The energy around you can be harnessed to elevate your work. You are part of something much larger than can be explained, a world of immense possibilities. Harnessing this energy can be marvelously useful in your creative pursuits. The principle operates on faith, believing and behaving as if it's true. No proof is needed. No. So I'm hiking up the mountain. I'm listening to this and I'm like, this is, this is kind of remarkable in light of a couple of things that have happened to me over the past year. Last year or the year before, I read Elizabeth Gilbert's book, Big Magic, which is a great book on creativity. And she describes the creative process in a very magical way. And again, anytime somebody starts talking about magic, I get my, all my alarms go off. I'm a skeptic. All the red flags go up. I'm like, you've got no way of proving this. I'm not gonna believe it. She tells a story in the book about how she had a very specific idea for a book. Very specific. It was a character. It was an occupation. It was a location. It was a plot. And she abandoned the idea only to have it um, essentially done by someone else with all the same specifics being hit and she ended up meeting this woman and there's a story about it in the book but it's based on the idea that uh, these ideas these concepts exist outside of us they are in the fabric of the universe in the fabric of this existence and we have the ability to tap into them not a new idea obviously it's at least as old as the greek muses you know, in ancient Greece where they believed that there were these gods and goddesses who had basically the power to inspire all forms of art in in and science and everything, right? There, there are these timeless truths and melodies and arrangements of ideas that existed that you can kind of tap into if you're a creative person. Mm-hmm. Now, this sounds like serious LA woo-woo new age that I'm not into, right? Um, but it is an interesting way to think about creativity and it's an interesting way to think about ideas and so i think the way i interacted with that book when i saw it was when i read it was okay mm, yeah there's probably a, another explanation for this like eh, i don't know exactly what it is but i feel like i'm hearing one half of this and there's probably uh, a logical reasonable explanation for how this actually went down but it's cool to think about it in this way and it's inspirational and maybe it will unlock something in the creative process and as a creative person as a creative professional this is an inspiring way to think about creativity um the first thing that happened was uh, i was on vacation and i had i was in the middle of a conversation with jesse and my brother and sister-in-law and i had an idea for a for a series it was a very specific series um And I kind of just wrote it down. And then we come back to, to, to work, come back to Mythical, and a team here at Mythical has developed the idea and developed the idea in a much more specific, better way than I had just sort of like initially sketched it out. I never told anybody about it, right? I was like, that's weird. But again, I was like, you know, still it's coincidence, right? These happen, the, the coincidence has happened. We all work in the same place. Like we probably talked about this. It probably just came up and it's just like, now I'm seeing it and now there's this pattern. Yeah. Well, about three weeks ago. Yeah. We were trying to kind of land on uh, a, a, an idea um, for like, a a, a video and I took a I was actually here in the office and I took a little power nap and I woke up and I had an idea for a video and it was it was such what I would call a dumb idea that I was afraid to even admit to myself that I had that it was just like that's a dumb idea I'll never mention that to anybody but it's weird that I had that idea that's all I that's what I remember thinking. Yeah, and I was like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna write it down. I'm not gonna tell Link about it because it's stupid. It's a dumb idea. And then, either, I think it was the same day. Same day. Yeah. Uh, we have a meeting. Um, you were at the meeting.
2: Yeah. But
1: TJ, who's leading that this team, he's like, I gotta. He's like, I got a dumb idea but I love it. And he says the idea and I'm like, what? Same idea. And then I go on the hike and I read the Rick Rubin book. Yeah, The very next weekend. And he does not just talk about it explicitly in that chapter. The whole book is essentially about making yourself the best possible antenna that you can be. Because the idea is that these, these patterns and these ideas exist, and you're tapping into them again, this is some new age right
2: <laughs> it is yeah,
1: and um but again, it's inspirational when i when i when I was listening to the book and now reading through it again, it's like this is this the the resonant frequency of this is is my resonant frequency it's we just had an experience this past weekend with some creative people where this principle of someone's ability to tap into something that is definitely external, that is outside of them, was demonstrated in a really powerful way. And I was like, okay, all right. All right, Mr. Skeptic. You've kind of, why don't you just, why don't you just release your grip on this a little bit? It was too much for me to handle. As as <laughs> a, a, as as Rick Rubin says in another chapter, there, there, there become these things that you, that randomness doesn't provide an adequate explanation for these things, and you eventually sort of just
0: acquiesce. <clears throat> yeah, now let's talk about that for a minute, because this is interesting. I, I don't mean this like a gotcha thing. Like maybe Rhett believes, I, I, I forget honestly at this point, does he believe in God or does, I think he's agnostic about the whole thing. Um, yeah, because he talks about maybe it's personal, maybe it's impersonal. And I think even that comes, I know even that comes up here. But, um, if, if, if Rhett isn't like on board with God, like God's existence, um, with whatever level of confidence that, that he needs, uh, on the basis of arguments or, or just looking around or whatever, um, that then I want to, I want to suggest that some things in your life that seem incredibly unlikely to have happened by chance or randomly, that now you, you're finding it very suspicious. And oh man, I don't, th- there, there's some real stuff. That, I mean, the odds of this happening this way are, are so unlikely that, I, man, I'm starting to feel tempted to believe this is true. If you've got that reaction, and I don't want to take away from, you know, the, the fact that this was very, coinc- if it's coincidental, it was coincidental or it's un- it was meaningful to your life. And it's highly unlikely. I, I grant all of that. And I th- I think that's very interesting. And I don't want to take that away from anyone. But I will point out that the complexity of the physical universe and the chances that the universe would be life-permitting For instance, the late Anthony Flew said, I now believe that the universe was brought into existence by an infinite intelligence. I believe that the universe's intricate laws manifest what scientists have called the mind of God. I believe that life and reproduction originate in a divine source. Why do I believe this, given that I expounded and defended atheism for more than half a century? The short answer is this. This is the world picture, as I see it, that has emerged from science. This is why people put together arguments, design arguments like this. Um, in fact, uh, let's just let's just go back uh, here, and we'll talk directly about this for a second. Um, in Hugh Ross's book, The Creator and the Cosmos, um, he talks about protons and neutrons and the balance that is necessary for life to be possible on Earth. And uh, he and so I I write this. Take for example the balance necessary between electrons and protons. This alone has states an accuracy of one in ten to the thirty seventh power. Astrophysicist Hugh Ross eloquently describes the chances of this occurring without design thusly, and here's the quote from Creator in the Cosmos. One part in 10 to the 37th power is such an incredibly sensitive balance that it is hard to visualize. The following analogy might help cover the entire North American continent in dimes all the way up to the moon, a height of about 239,000 miles. In comparison, the money to pay for the U.S. federal government debt would cover one square mile less than two feet deep with dimes. Next pile dimes from here to the moon on a million other continents the same size as North America. Paint one dime red and mix it into the billion piles of dimes blindfold a friend and ask him to pick one out. The odds that he will pick the red dime are one in 10 to the 37th power. And this is only one of the parameters that is so delicately balanced to allow life to form. This, uh, th- and, and then that, that abiogenesis would take hold and that it all would reach this moment. The chances are so incredibly unlikely as to dwarf by... Uh, levels, uh, you know, exponential levels, the uh, unlikeliness found in what you've just described. And so it it may be that Rhett would look at this and be like, yeah, I mean, I pretty much do think there's maybe a God, something like that. But if if there's doubt, if, if there's serious concern about whether there's a God, but you do, even though we have all that, you know, incredibly complex, like, you know, teleological arguments, design arguments and things like that, and that, and if that doesn't impress you or enough to believe that there's a designer who put that all together so that the universe would be life-permitting, but this over here does convince you almost to, to say the things that have been happening recently almost make me want to believe in this, I think you called it like crystal woo-woo stuff, LA stuff. Okay, then, then I think we need to reassess the teleological argument because I think it's successful if that's where you're at. It may not be. I don't know. Let's get back to it. I feel like,
2: um, yeah, there's something unseen happening. Well,
1: so again, now this is, as someone who was a person of faith, a person of Christian faith, it's very different to be thinking about these, these things on this side of it, because I am so ready to admit that there's nothing here. Just so you understand, like, I'm not trying to tell you that it's true. I don't think that it applies to you. I, I don't think that it's important that you understand it. I don't think I need to convince you to agree with me. I don't think you need to join a community in which we all believe this. Mm-hmm. I don't think that this determines where I go when I die. I don't think that I can prove this to you. I don't think that this is a universal truth that applies to every single person. Those are things that I believe when I was a Christian. I'm saying there's some going down that is uh, really has developed sort of a, a synchronicity and a frequency uh, in the way that it's appearing in a way that is very much coinciding with where Link I'm at sleep. right now in my life. And one of the things that it, like, you know, Ruben said was, it's believing or behaving as if it's true. The belief, the proof, is not really the important thing, especially if it's not harmful. Because I think that, uh, I do, first of all, let me just say that I think it's very important that we agree with things that are reasonable and logical and provable. You know, I would say that, for instance, you know, evolution, common ancestry, the fact that we're all related, that we all came from the same organism. Like, I think that's provable. I don't think that that's an opinion. I think that that has been demonstrated significantly through uh, many different scientific avenues. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to believe that. And I think that it is harmful to not believe that. And that's going to piss a lot of people off because like 40 to 50 percent of Why? the population in the United States doesn't think that's true. But I actually think it's harmful to, to, to ultimately not Why? believe that. That's a, that's a podcast for a different time. Okay. But I believe that because I believe it's very reasonable and logical to come to that conclusion and it can be demonstrated through lots of different methods. But the stuff that I'm talking about
0: right now, I'm saying it is. Well, hold on a second. So the the point he's trying to make is now, now you can't, you can't do what I'm doing here with everything, especially things that we, we really have kind of proven. And, uh, and we, we, you know, at that point, you're not allowed to do this and it's dangerous to disagree with, you know, the, the science on this or whatever. But I totally agree with him that views can be dangerous, obviously. He never tells us what, why not believing in evolution is dangerous, but there are many atheists online who have told us why they think it is. And he would probably echo some of their statements. Uh, but I, I certainly agree that beliefs can be dangerous and, and that, that, we, that we should have good science on things. I mean, uh, for instance, um, I think that what's being said about human sexuality and men becoming women and women becoming men right now is one such thing and I think we should think about the true nature of reality there. So I agree with him about that sort of thing, and I don't know what he thinks about any of that, but he's right about that much. Let's keep trucking.
1: It's out on that faith bridge. Mm-hmm. It's out on something that I'm not trying to prove to you, I don't think I can prove it to you, but it is me leaning into some sort of exercise of faith, right? And mm-hmm. Like with, every, with, with, any, with anybody, you've got, the you've got the 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 conservative Christians who would be listening who would be saying, Oh, okay. So you still believe some stuff, and now you're telling us that we believe some stuff. And like, first of all, let me say, yes, your religious faith isn't something that uh I am that I am becoming slower to j ju- I am becoming slower to judge people's religious faith. Because I do believe there are many people who have a religious framework and it is very helpful for them. Like I said, I think there can be harmful beliefs within that. Right? I think if you think that someone's lifestyle or someone's existence is a sin, that's a harmful belief. And I'm going to stand up against that.
0: Wait, if I think someone's lifestyle is sinful, then that's wrong. Without specifying the lifestyle, what if they're a serial killer? What if, what if they're, they have, you know, they're doing something horribly self-destructive. Now, I think that he didn't specify because when he says someone's lifestyle, I think he knows what, what we, you know, where everyone's mind goes, right? We're talking about LGBT type stuff.
1: If your worldview embodies that kind of thing, I'm not, I don't think there's an excuse for that.
0: Um. But if your worldview, th- now, this is where I'd really like to know if he's all about this. If he's all about science and 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 the facts and and as far as reason can take us, we've got to go there. We have no choice. We have to go where reason takes us, as far as we have reason. Then, um, I'd like to know what he thinks about the trans issue, in, in that regard.
1: Aspects of your worldview, even a Christian worldview, are, um, they contribute. They contribute to all of us and the, and the well being of all of us. Then that's. And then I'm not going to argue with that. But for me, just this, uh, I'm kind of I'm riffing at this point because this is this is the point that I've gotten to where I'm like ah, there's some stuff happening. I can't explain it. I'm leaning into it. I've never been more excited about, um. You know, my life in our career creatively. And I did not expect these things to coincide. I always thought that these two things were separate. Hmm. Back in the day, hmm. the way I saw creativity and uh, the kingdom of God was, the kingdom of God was something that existed, that, that we were contributing to on earth and trying to you know, fulfill the great commission. And God had given us the gift of, whatever you wanna call the gift that we have, <laughs> um, the, the gift to make people laugh, whatever he had given us that gift so that we could use it to grow his kingdom. Amen, yeah. And I think that this is challenging that framework because it feels much more integrated and ineffable and difficult to wrap your mind around uh, because it's almost like the the act of creation becomes the experience of God. Okay. A, it is a. It is.
0: This is thoroughly Christian. I. Th- this is. This. I don't want to belittle the fact that he's coming to this now and through a different and and in, in a different way after reading a book by Rick Rubin. But what I'm I am telling you is that the very first chapter of the Bible is all about creation, and it tells us in that chapter that he made man in his image. So when we create in a in a very particular way, we are we we are having we are we are doing we're not creating from nothing we're not creating universes but we are doing something that is a capacity we share in some sense this this creative nature this desire to create is is something that i do think was given to you by god because and it's a way you reflect his nature as a creator so yes this is a thoroughly christian notion i think
1: there is something where it is direct it is a direct connection that i can't take, translate, understand, and put into English so that I can get a group of people to understand it. It's just something that is experienced in these fleeting moments. And all I can do is lean into it yeah. and make myself more attuned to it.
2: One question I have, so are you able to say, you're, a, you're able to say that you have faith? Like you recognize that you you have faith are you able to say what that's in? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that was a part
1: that I had written down that I wanted to say, and I completely forgot. So thanks for asking. Um, You're welcome. I think, and I don't think this has ever gone away. So again, the way that I interpret faith is what is it that I want to be true that I am- What are you li- hoping for? Living and believing as if it is true. Yeah. And even apart from these experiences, I don't think I've ever let go of the the belief that there is something beyond my understanding and there is an intention behind our existence. That's something that I want to be true. In other words, I want there to be a deeper intention and purpose and meaning behind our collective existence. And I don't know, uh, again, big difference, I don't think I can prove it. And I'm not trying to. I'm just saying for me, I just have to be honest with myself and admit that I do want that to be the case. I want there to be some
0: magic. You do want that to be the case, and you do think it sounds like he does believe that there is something higher and some intention. Well, okay, maybe you can shake that out in, in some subtly different ways, but if there is Uh, If there is an intentional force that is prompting you with specific information, that sounds like theism. It sounds like there's a God who's doing this.
1: Right. And I want there to be, um, I wouldn't go as far as to say I want there to be a personal force behind it all, because I feel like that's um, too specific and also me trying to like put a label on it. But you do
0: feel like that it's an in, that there's an intentionality there, but an impersonal intentionality or a personal intentionality. Intentionality to me sounds personal.
1: Whether you want to call it source or God or whatever, um, there oh. being some sort of intention that is um, involved in some way. You know, I I I talked at one point about. If you
0: believe that much, if you believe that there is some intentional force, okay, a person, if there's God, if God exists and God wants and you believe that God is involved in some way, is it, you know, and, and we're relational beings, right? We, we we love to, you know this, you love to communicate with other people, have, have friendships, relationships. Um, that's a standard thing about human nature, okay? So God... Um, so God, just put it full screen again. So, so there's God. All right. If you just were to start, and I'm not saying like, like I, you know, the arguments I use are a cosmological argument, a design argument, uh, a case for the resurrection, things like that. But if you just wanted a rough sketch, that isn't what you know a lot of apologists will say. Uh, probably because they're afraid they're going to lose credibility. You could just say it like this, on just a, a just a a face forward just way. Think about this. If there, if you already think there's a God who, who has intentions for your life, um, if you were to say, okay, I wonder if any of the major religions has captured that, or any religion has captured that, where you might start is the world's biggest religion. And you would quickly find, oh, wow, look, there's a guy smack in the middle of this thing who not only claims he is God wanting to have relationship with us, to relate with us, but a bunch of like PhDs and historians and scholars and even people that aren't Christians uh have positive things to say about aspects of the case for the resurrection and um i mean that al- that right that alone um uh, should should give you the kind of hunches that that you seem to be relying on i don't know maybe not maybe your mileage will vary but let's keep trucking
1: is is the universe like some creative force that Birth literally birthed itself as the universe, and all these pieces of matter, including me and you and everybody, it's like the universe playing you know, the way that Alan Watts describes it is the universe is playing hide and seek with itself.
0: I don't, what, what is this business? When people talk about the universe doing stuff. I just feel like they're using either they're they are one of these like spiritualist type people who who hold on to some sort of pantheism or panentheism or something like that or, or they just or they just they're just using universe as a placeholder for whatever you know the universe the universe hates me today or something like that or the universe is giving me these messages but the way Red is using it he's saying the universe seems to be intentional about my life and have intentional information that it wants me to have. So this really does sound more like God. Okay.
1: And so being like, Oh, I'm going to make these two guys best friends, and they're going to have this
0: parallel path. and I'm going to, the universe is saying, I'm going to make these two guys. That's, that sounds like God. they are going to create these things.
1: It, you know, it's, it's more fun and more fulfilling for me personally to believe that that's there's some aspect of that that is true.
0: Um, I again, I don't want to take away from anything. I like Retin Link, but I know that's deeply like it, it, you know believing things that that are that are that that are enjoyable to believe and fun to believe. That's that. I mean, it's not like there's no benefit. I mean, it's not like that doesn't feel good. But who cares? Now, maybe you care. I get it. But if we're gonna like put this message out to millions of people for them to consider and perhaps evaluate their own lives. Maybe I'll take that on. Maybe I'll think that way. Um, gosh, it just seems, I mean, we. who cares if it's fun? I want to know if it's true, right? I want to know if it's true. Now, you you maybe don't think we can know, but I, I think we've discussed that in this video here. And uh, okay. So it turns out that's, that's really all I want to cover from that. Um, they do, you can watch the whole show, they do kind of slowly meander through different topics and things, and you kind of have to pick out spots to respond to, but um, so I think we delivered on the thumbnail. The, Rhett has a faith. He calls himself a person of faith, and this is interesting, but in summary, I, I just want to say Fabilically speaking, faith isn't going with reason and then wherever it ends, you can ch- kind of just choose your own adventure based on what you want to be real. It's instead trusting that God will do for you in the future what he said it would do based on what you have good reason to believe he's done in the past. Uh, second, we were treated to his opinion about Jesus' resurrection, but not given arguments. Rather, we were told, to, uh, told that to... Someone who feels like your cooler older brother on YouTube, Rhett, who is a smart guy and admired by thousands or maybe even millions, he looked into it and he's not convinced. Now, that's persuasively powerful uh, to people that do admire Rhett, but not because of anything to do with evidence or arguments. Three, we were told that scientists come to uniform conclusions, but Presbyterians and Baptists, for example, disagree on fundamentals well, the truth is Baptists and Presbyterians agree on the fundamentals. They disagree on secondary doctrinal issues. And he's pairing that with scientists who who have these um, uniform conclusions. I don't think that's true either. I think that that scientists often disagree with each other and with interpretations of data and things like that about interpretations of data. And four, he believes in a source or something that is intentionally making plans for his life and giving him specific information and ideas through what feels or sounds like some sort of a revelatory process. But he's not sure that that's God. Here's what I don't like about this: it's opposed to the kingdom. I mean, that's that's it. I believe that Christianity is true, and this is pers- this is going to persuade some people who haven't looked into the evidence to to perhaps walk away. And so I obviously don't like that because it's opposed to the king of love and the king of the universe and the king of kings. What I do like about it is what C.S. Lewis appreciated about paganism uh, as opposed to like a naturalism. And that is um, as long as you do uh, believe that there is an unseen realm, as he put it, and as others have put it, then then Christianity, uh, there's soil for Christianity to grow in, in in your life. There, there is something there. You're not writing it off. You, you actually do believe. It sounds like, or at least you, you, you think there's, good, you know, some reason in your life to think that there is something unseen going on. I would say spiritual going on, and so, um, I think that's good because I think it's a, I think it's a better place than maybe where I thought Rhett was in years past. Now, last year he was going to read the Bible through, and he says he didn't end up getting there because he got sidetracked with the Christian apologetics and atheism and all that stuff. Um but I liked that plan that that was that was a plan I was really on board with um of course it's his life not mine who cares what I think but uh, but but this i I like that he's still open to the unseen realm to quote heiser but i um I think that there are I think there's still a lot to to think through and problems with what's been said here but that said, um we'll continue to track their journey and sometime soon we'll cover links uh three-year deconstruction catch-up or whatever. And with that, we'll see you next time on Trinity Radio.